There's an outline in your bulletin, uh, if you'd open that up. I actually left some blanks for you this morning to fill out, keep you occupied. Fishing, when I was a little kid, became something I learned to love. Because though my dad was a farmer, he worked hard at that, he would make time to take us fishing, my brothers and I, to the rivers, to the lakes around there. And we fished for bass, crappie, catfish. Uh, but, you know, fishing in Nebraska typically was like you're sitting on the bank or you're sitting in the boat waiting for the fish to come to you. But fishing took on a whole new dimension one summer for me when I uh, maybe was eight years old. And we went to see my aunt and uncle out in southwest Colorado. They lived on the western slopes of the Rocky Mountains. And we went camping. And uh, we uh, were up in the mountains. And my aunt Lois taught me how to fish for the wily trout that were lurking in those streams. That was a whole different kind of fishing. She told me, you got to learn to think like a trout. you got to understand these fish, you know. And you can't scare them. you got to just go up to the bank and look where they might be hiding, under that submerged log or under the overhanging bank, and just drift your salmon egg by. And, and I thought about that as I was working on this message because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we see as we watch him in the gospel accounts, as in Luke 19, that he understood how to fish and by example taught his disciples and still teaches his disciples how to do just that. And I think we're going to see that, that so many times we just think, yeah, well, just wait for the people to come to us, but that's not what Jesus did. He went to them, and he understood them, and he didn't scare them, you know, he, he went to where they were, and that's what we're going to see in this passage. But before we get there, just going to quickly review where we've been in this four-part series, Keala O Yesu, The Path of Jesus, just talking about how we can grow, how we can make sure we're not stuck, you know, as followers, but we're growing. And uh, this is I knew after the quiz last week, you'd be ready for the exam today. But I decided to relent, and uh, it's going to be an open book test. So I'm going to ask you, uh, just bring these up one at a time. First base, and go ahead and bring up the next slide. We know that means, let's say it together, love God. We love God because He loved us. And we respond to His love in worship where we're engaged in worship, not just when we come together, but just as a, just a daily experience. And we love God by joyfully obeying him. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Second base, we move on, is bring that one up, and that is connect with one another. Let's say that together. Connect with one another. That's our Ohana groups. Because if we just come to a weekend worship service, how well do we really know each other? How can we pray for one another? How can we encourage one another? How can we ask the questions that are on our hearts as we look at Scripture? No, that happens as we grow deep and strong in our relationships with one another. We're encouraged. We pour into one another's lives. That happens as we connect. Third base is, let's bring that one up. That is, let's say it together, serve the Lord. And each of us is gifted. And each of us have passions about where God would have us serve and we are fulfilled as we do so and we see fruit come from our lives as we step into an area of ministry. Well this morning we're going to 
make it home, and that is home plate, and that is reach the lost. If we could bring that, there it is. Home plate is reach the lost. Reach the lost. There's a fish hook, ancient Hawaiian fish hook, going with our theme, but actually should be a net, okay? And uh, because Jesus uh, would go out in the boat with the disciples, and they'd cast a net out. And that's what Jesus would do as he would go out to reach lost people. In fact, he said this in chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This passage is about Jesus' encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. And when I grew up in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, we would sing about Zacchaeus. And it was a song about him. How many of you remember that song? Okay, enough to where we can do it. Okay, let's bring the words up here. You got to join me. You can't let me out to dry here, okay? So uh, join with me, okay? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. So we learned as kids that Zacchaeus was a short little guy, probably a little taller than that, and that he was looking for Jesus. But the most amazing thing about that passage probably isn't that he was looking for Jesus, but that Jesus was looking for him. I mean, he was a sinner. He was an outcast, and here was Jesus looking for him. So let's see the principles that are set forth in this passage that relate to becoming a fisher of people. Here's the first. Followers of Jesus intentionally seek the lost because lost people have a tough time seeing Jesus. Verse 1, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Zacchaeus was curious. He'd heard about Jesus. News had spread, and he really wanted to catch a glimpse of who he was, but he had some challenges. He was height challenged, and there was a crowd, a mob surrounding Jesus. He knew that coming through Jericho on their way, probably to Jerusalem, about 17 miles up the road. And how's he going to get close? Well, that sycamore tree. Maybe he could climb up there and, and see him just for a moment as he passed by. I mean, there were so many people around Jesus. Even then, it would be difficult for Zacchaeus to see him. In fact, when we went on our first Holy Land trip back in 2008, we went into Jericho. It's Palestinian now, tough to get in there, but we got in there, and we saw the tree. It had a sign right by it. You know, this is where Zacchaeus climbed the tree, a sycamore tree. I don't know if it's the real one or not. But, but anyway, it could have been, and it had all these branches and leaves, and I thought, wow. He would have had a hard time seeing Jesus 
even from that perch in the tree. So there were some physical obstructions, and then even the crowd surrounding Jesus and the angle, how could he hope to see him very well? There were physical obstructions that would keep this man Zacchaeus from Jesus. But more so, there were even other obstructions. For instance, there'd be a social obstruction. He was, as it said, a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And tax collectors were hated. They were despised in Palestine at that time because this was occupied territory. And tax collectors had sold out to the Romans. They, they'd contracted with the Empire of Rome to collect taxes from their own fellow citizens. And uh, they were told how much they needed to raise. And then anything they could get beyond that was theirs. Well, Zacchaeus oversaw all these other tax collectors, and he was rich. And they kept raising the taxes. Rome was uh, installing a rail that was coming through, and so they kept raising tax. No, just kidding. It wasn't rail, but they did. They were installing an aqueduct in the empire and other things like that, and taxes were going up. And this guy was despised, as were all tax collectors, called a sinner. In fact, he was also banned or ostracized because of his wealth. He didn't live like these people did. Oh, no, he lived in luxury, and they were in poverty. So that's another barrier that he had. But he also, I believe, in addition to the physical and the social barriers, I think he had a psychological and a spiritual barrier that kept him from the people as well. Because I believe Zacchaeus knew in his heart that they were right, that he was cheating them, that uh, he was consumed by greed, and uh, he may have wanted to get close to Jesus, but his lifestyle and his greed kept him from the Lord. And there was some guilt there, I'm convinced, in his own heart. He had all these problems, all these obstacles. And so he was having a tough time seeing Jesus so Jesus would come to him. Now, how many of us realize that lost people around us who are far from Jesus, far from the kingdom have a hard time really seeing him. They have a perception of Jesus, but often it's distorted. They think, well, if they are curious, I'll find out about Jesus by reading this article in Time or Newsweek. That'll tell me about him. Or, or maybe they'll watch a documentary on PBS thinking, oh, that'll give me a good understanding of Jesus. Or, hey, I got it. I'll take a religion class up at the University of Hawaii. Surely that'll help me to know who Jesus is. I mean, people have really fuzzy perceptions of who Jesus is. And that's why followers of Jesus need to intentionally go to where they are so that these people can learn more about the real Jesus. Secondly, followers of Jesus intentionally seek the lost because they're not likely to hang around the temple. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to the, be the guest of a man who's a sinner. This crowd was shocked when 
Jesus stopped and looked up and called Zacchaeus, the tax collector, by name. They couldn't believe it. And then when Jesus said he was going to go to his house, they were outraged. Are you kidding? In our culture, it's really, uh, you know, you've gained some intimacy when you go into someone's house. In that culture, it was even more so. And to dine with him and his friends, you'd cross the line there. I mean, you didn't hang out with sinners. You just didn't do it. And Jesus was going to his house. The, the crowd was shocked. Zacchaeus, he was stunned. Can you imagine? He's just hoping for a glimpse of Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus stops and the crowd with him. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. And I think Zacchaeus was like, he's looking around for people beside him in the tree. You, you talking to me? And when he realized that he was, amazement, exhilaration. He scrambled down that tree, every eye in the crowd on him, and there's Jesus and he going to dinner. Jesus could have hung out in Jerusalem. That's where the gathering of religious Jews was most prominent. He had access to the temple. He still wasn't uh, banished from the temple. I mean, the Pharisees and scribes were really suspicious of him. There was growing resentment. But, but, but he could have started a service right there, a rocking service in the temple, and uh, just invited people to come, come and uh, see him. Maybe he could have even had satellite feeds into the synagogues throughout, you know, uh, Galilee. I don't know. And uh, said, come and uh, see me if you want. Zacchaeus wouldn't have come, would he? He wouldn't have gone to the temple. He wouldn't have gone to the synagogue because he wouldn't have been welcome there. In fact, he was actually banned from the temple as a tax collector. So Jesus needed to go to him. And that's exactly what he did. Because he came to seek and to save that which is lost, and that's why his followers do the same. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it's easy to do because we make it difficult. If we love Jesus, and if we love people, they're all around us. We can naturally just witness for Christ by who we are if we'll love Christ and those around us. I saw that beautifully depicted as Dee and I were watching America's Got Talent here a while back. How many of you watched that show and would actually admit it? Yeah, a few of you, okay. Well, sometimes it's pretty interesting and entertaining, and it was that particular night when a little girl named Heavenly Joy came on. And I want you to see a video clip of her and her witness here. My name is Heavenly Joy Jerkins, and I'm five years old. My talent is mostly um, singing. How do you feel when you sing? I feel happy. You feel happy? Very happy. And I love tap. So you nervous at all? She got this. Oh, I don't even know, man. She lights up when she sees the stage. Really? Oh, yeah. That's... That's that's her home. She get it from her mama. <laughs> and what kind of other things do you do? I love swimming. Did you just say it? I want to go swimming right now. Remember, it's all about doing your best. You know you're going to do that, right? Fist bump, howie. Bam! I am so excited. 
welcome to our stage. And what is your name? My name's Heavenly Joy Jerkins. That is a beautiful name. Your first name is Heavenly. My aunt calls me Hev. Okay. Yeah. How old are you, Hev? I'm five. I love your outfit, by the way. Thank you. Uh, tell me about yourself. What are you going to be doing today? I'm going to be singing a song and do tap with it. That's hard to do because sometimes you can get out of breath, right, when you're singing? Yeah. Is that going to happen to you? No. No. Good. And, and where did you get this ability at five years old? Do you have a musical family? Since when I was one, I used to sing. Because you got to start at a young age in this business. You really do. <laughs> now, you know, if you win this whole thing, you get a million dollars. Well, if I get a million dollars, I want them to keep them. I want to get them all over the world because some people don't have any clothes, so I'll give some clothes to them. Aww. Beautiful. Are you raising the right? <laughs> By the way, I'm your favorite judge, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very smart. All right. I wish you a lot of luck. I hope you win so all those people who don't have money get money, you know? places oh, I'm telling wow. you wow you know when I was uh, a little boy not much older than you if you can imagine that <laughs> heavenly I used to watch uh, Shirley Temple yeah. in movies on TV I watched that. you watch that too yep you know I think Shirley Temple is living somewhere inside of you is that possible because well not Shirley Temple Jesus there you go how you talking Jesus and Shirley Temple. <laughs> Jesus Temple. Yeah. Heavenly, I have to tell you, you did such a fantastic job. You were so cute singing and dancing. I think America's going to fall in love with you, Heavenly. I bet you dollars to donuts that they are already in <laughs> love with her. You are Heavenly. You really are. You remind me of our own Mel B, because... You would have been a terrific Spice Girl, I think. Yeah. I don't know what that is. You never heard of them, right? No, because I wasn't born yet. 
Right. Uh, it doesn't know who you are. That's okay. We know who she is. She's adorable. Let's vote, shall we? Well, you know, Heavenly, I'll be proud to tell you that you have your first yes. Heavenly, I'm going to give you your second yes. Great job. I will give you your third. That's it. We'll see you in the next round. Good job, Heavenly. Not Shirley Temple, Jesus. Isn't that great? Do you think that Heavenly was thinking backstage, how can I go out and witness to Howard Stern? How can I reach this guy and these people? And how can I witness to America? No, she wasn't thinking that at all, was she? She was just being Heavenly. She was being who she was. And uh, some of us can't sing like that or tap or whatever. But we can be who we are. And that's what God asks us to be. If we'll just love Jesus and love people naturally, it'll just exude from us. I really believe that. I played uh, nine holes of golf up at Shafter every Thursday for 20 years, you know, with our foursome. And we have a great time, fellowship and friendship. And, and I know the two greenskeepers up there. And through the years, I've given them invitations to our Christmas services, Easter services. Uh, one of them came to one of our Easter services. I haven't got him back yet. The other one has never, you know, indicated he would come. But this, this last Thursday, he drives his cart over to us and asks me, how's it going? I said, well, it's going well. He said, no, I mean, how's it going at the church? And I said, well, it's going really well. He said, well, I'm going to come. I'm going to come check it out. I said, well, all right. I mean, I don't really know him. I know his name. I call him by name. I, I wave at him every time I'm out there. I don't know what God's doing in his life, but isn't that the deal? We don't know what God's doing in the lives of the people around us. If we'll just pray for them and care about them. This last uh, Wednesday, I had coffee down at Coffee Talk with a young man in our community whom I've known also for probably 20 years. And I've stopped by his shop, he and his dad. Well, his dad passed away some time ago. And I actually was asked to do the service. And uh, went to see him and talked with him. Now, just after the service, how's it going? What's happening with your mom? And then I just asked him, so during this time, have you thought about maybe the need to be closer to the Lord? He said, actually, I have been thinking about that. We were able to talk about it. I gave him a tract. We're going to sit down and talk more when, when I get back from the mainland. I'm just saying that each of us have people around us that are curious. They'd like to see Jesus, but they have a tough time doing so. They're probably not going to hang around the temple. The religious crowd may be a little intimidating. But if we'll just love them and if we'll love Jesus and just reach out to people... Sometimes we think, wow, that's a big step for me. It would be like climbing the Himalayas. Not at all. God doesn't ask us to be heavenly joy. He asks us to be who we are and uh, just love him and love people and go to where they are as followers of his. One more thing. Followers of Jesus intentionally seek the lost because they're as deserving to be found as we were. Isn't that the truth? Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped... The crowd's moving along, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
Half of my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus stopped and spoke to Zacchaeus by name. So now when they're on the way to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus stopped in his tracks and expressed his faith to Jesus. I'll give half my possessions to the poor, and that's a lot. And if I've defrauded or cheated anyone, I'll give them four times as much. The law specified that in Exodus 22. But here's a guy that his heart has changed, evidenced by that declaration. Martin Luther said the last thing to get converted usually is our pocketbook. Well, that got converted. And Jesus said salvation has come to this house. Not because he was giving money to the poor or making things right. Not because of a good deed, but because he was a son of Abraham. What did that mean? Well, Abraham, Genesis tells us, and Paul repeats in the New Testament, was declared righteous because he believed. And that's what Jesus was saying. Your faith has brought salvation to you. And the evidence of that was his decision to give. And so Jesus saw a transformation, as did the crowd here, but they probably weren't happy about it. They weren't happy that he was going to... Jesus was going to his house and they probably weren't even excited that he got saved. I don't know. There may be people around you and me that we may not approve of. We don't think much of their lifestyle or, or the way they talk or, or the things that they're involved in. But are they as deserving as we were? I mean, the last few weeks after that horrific Supreme Court decision that really was an attack on marriage and the Word of God, a departure from the Constitution. I've spoken out about that, and I've written about it. And I stand by what I've said and what I've written about that. But I don't want that to be misinterpreted, okay? I spoke to a, a believer last week, not part of our church, but uh, he was talking to me. He's so angry, and he's so angry at gays. And I said, oh, no, wait a minute. I mean, we're talking two different things here. We can stand on principle, and we must stand on our convictions based on the word of God, but the way we care about people should be that we love everyone. Anyone who's struggling with their sexuality, whether they're gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or heterosexual, sin is sin folks, and uh, why would we think we're any different or better than anyone struggling with any sin? We weren't, and we've only been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and so we need to be the people who love and reach out and care for people as we encounter them, and whatever people are like around us, we need to be on mission for Jesus. The Son of Man keep an came to seek and to save that which was lost. He cared about us, and we must care about them. Lost people are found when the disciples of Jesus look for them. 
and go to where they are. And so I want to challenge each of us this morning in closing to be on mission for Christ, to reach the lost. I believe we begin to do so by praying for lost people. You and I are each in unique spheres where there are people around you and each of us that the rest of us can't reach, but God puts you there for a reason. Start writing down the names of people around you that need to know Jesus in your family, your workplace, maybe neighbors, and begin to pray for them regularly, whether it's every day or once a week when you pray for lost people, but pray regularly, then your heart will begin to change toward them. Secondly, take time to build a relationship with them. Spend time, hang out with them. You say, I can't do that. I have three ministries at the church. Well, drop two of them and make time for lost people. That's what Jesus did. And then when you have opportunity, just talk naturally about what Jesus has done in your life. God will give openings and opportunities. We don't force it. We don't scare them away. But as we are led by the Spirit, we just naturally relate. And we'll become more like heavenly and just exude the love of Jesus as we follow him. And that's who we really want to be like because he said that's what we would do. Uh, we'd become fishers of men if, if we'll follow him. Why did he go to the house of a sinner? That's what they wondered. Because that's why he came. Jesus would go because that's why he came. We should go because we follow him. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for coming and mixing with us, not waiting for us to come to you because we would never have made it. And Lord, give us a compassion and a heart for the people around us, a love for them that flows from your heart through ours to them. And Lord, we'll trust you to change people's hearts, starting with our own, as we look to you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.